Welcome to Crime and Wine. I'm Pamela Fagan Hutchins, your host, and this is the show where I talk with other crime fiction writers about the stories of thrills and suspense that will leave you mystified, sometimes horrified, and always wanting more. Please join me in welcoming today's special guest. Well, hello out there, everybody, and happy springtime from the face of the Bighorn Mountains in Wyoming, where there is rain falling on a tin roof. So if you hear the, the little pitter-patter going on, that's, um, that's the problem today. We can't control Mother Nature. I am super excited to have one of the nicest guests I've ever had on the show. I'm saying this while she's kind of like in my green room and not embarrassing her, but from the very first second I've interacted with this woman who we have lots of friends in common, she has been so super nice. So if you like great books and written by authors that are super nice people, Alison Brennan is your woman. And so I'd like you all to join me in giving a virtual welcome to Allison. Hello and welcome to Crime and Wine. Thank you so much for having me today. I was really excited. Um, I love the title. I, I didn't get wine because as I told you earlier, wine actually puts me to sleep. <laughs> so but I did make myself a little margarita, just, just a little short one, just to, you know, so we can have a chat. If there was a picture of those, I'd be so on a plane to come see you. I have my <laughs> um, wine uh, uh, read book glass going. Um, we'll keep... We'll keep it mom what's in that glass, but you know, <laughs> but I am so excited to have you. I believe that I've been hearing about you from our mutual friend, Pam Stack for years. Uh, and so it's actually just a wonderful pleasure to meet you in person after all this time. Well, thank you. Pam's amazing. She's a great um, supporter of writers in general, and I've known her for nearly 15, 16 years now. We met at Thriller Fest and we've been friends ever since. I mean, she's just a wonderful human being. So um, uh, she does connect people. She's connected me. Um, I never had met Matt Cole before. And um, she sent me his book and said, hey, can you interview him for me? I need somebody to interview him. And I said, okay, sure, send me his book. And now I love his books. And <laughs> he's a really nice person. So I've chatted with him and it just, it's great. She likes nice people. What can I say? You know, she brings us together. <laughs> He really does. And, you know, all hail Pam Stack. Uh, this is a silly owned and uh, copyrighted production of Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. See, I got that out, Pam. How did I do? Um, obligatory plug for the uh, network. So I am dying for you to tell all of my listeners, your readers, my readers about your new Quinn and Costa book, Seven Girls Gone. So give us a little teaser. Well, um, I actually came up with the idea. Um, well, there was, a, there was a couple of things, a couple of emphases. One of the things about the mobile response team is that they move around. So I needed a small setting. And I really, really love Louisiana. My best friend lives there. Um, so I kind of wanted to set something there. Then I was reading, well, I read a long time ago, but then I kind of refreshed myself about a real life cold case that's never been solved called the Jeff Davis 8. And it was about eight prostitutes that had been murdered over a three-year period in uh, the town of Jennings, Louisiana. So I read everything I could find about that cold case. And then I kind of merged the two ideas together. Um, my book is obviously fiction. It's very, very different. But one of the things that drew me to the real life case was 
the victims were also prostitutes and they, and it just felt like everybody knew what was going on, but nobody was willing to talk. And if they did, they ended up dead. So it wasn't, it, it was just a very, um, very interesting to find out that this happened in, you know, the 21st century, that evidence disappears, that, you know, people don't talk or people go missing or they end up dead. And I just liked that, that mysterious backdrop. Um, so I ended up coming up with this idea with, with my characters. And one of the things I always do is that I have to, you know, obviously I write murder mysteries. So somebody's dead at the beginning, but I also want to make sure that there's something to solve other than the murder, somebody to protect or somebody to um, get out of a bad situation. So I ended up crafting that in the story. And then it ended up, the backdrop was absolutely amazing. And my friend, Tony McGee-Causey, just to give her a shout out, helped me so much with the details of Louisiana. Um, my grand grandfather and his family is all from Alabama. So I'm a little familiar with the South, but there's just, Louisiana is so unique that I wanted to make sure that I had got things right. The legal system is unique. The people are unique. The the vibe is unique and such a nice, I mean, with all love to Louisiana, it can be a little creepy there. What a great, you know, swampy bayou-y place to have a murder mystery, especially one based, like you said, on something that is so real and contemporary and yet sadly timeless. Um, we have a question from a, you, a reader who says that you're new to them and is Seven Girls Gone something that can be read as a standalone or do they really need to start at book one in the Quinn and Costa series? Um, well, most of the reviews, if you skim the reviews on Goodreads, most of them say it can stand as a standalone. I know there's some readers that really want to read the books in order. Um, the only thing that continues from book to book is uh, Kara Quinn and Matt Costa, the two main characters, they have a developing relationship. It's not romantic suspense because it's not structured as a romantic suspense, but they meet in the first book and then they're slowly um, coming to realize that they're falling in love over the course of multiple books. So it's not like it's the mystery itself is completely the same. So you'll note, meet the characters. I don't think people will be lost. If you like to have those connections, because it is a team of characters and how they developed over time, then read the series in order. But I don't think you, anybody's going to be lost or miss anything if they started before. I think that they're going to love it so much, even if they start with um, with Seven Girls Gone, that they're going to go back and do it anyway. So uh, I love that answer. And it brings up something that's a question from me, actually. Um, today, well, you guys out there know that I kind of spend a, a little time stalking my guests on the Internet before I talk to them. And today's stalking of Allison yielded a, an article that was posted online recently that it was kind of a will they or won't they take on how to deal with burgeoning relationships in romantic thrillers as opposed to romantic suspense. I loved the article. Um, and that was a little bit of your take on it and how different that is from romantic suspense, which is part of your background, right? Yeah, my first, so I have 45 books or my 45th book comes out this summer. And my first 12 books were romantic suspense. And in a romantic suspense, you want them to be together by the end of the book, or at least the readers to believe that they're going to take the next step in the relationship. 
with and, and that's important because that's the story promise when a book is labeled romantic suspense that's what readers are going to expect there's going to be danger there's going to be romance the characters are going to get together by the end of the book in a romantic thriller or in a straight up suspense readers don't necessarily expect the characters to be together but they kind of want the kind of the continuing relationship growth over a longer period of time. And in that article, I used Castle as an example, mm -hmm. because, um, you know, I loved Castle. You had the story promise. Everything they did was really, 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 really good until they totally screwed up the wedding. And yeah. then the whole series fell apart. And, but I love that there was an ebb and flow and that when their conflicts were real, it wasn't, when I say real, I mean, um, Nora Roberts does this amazing in the J.D. Robb series. It's not every book has to be a major conflict. And, you know, they, you don't have to like say on the, or on the verge of breaking up or getting divorced in every single book. That would be so awful. And you would hate to read those as be like an emotional <laughs> roller coaster. But about every seventh or eighth book, she has a kind of a major emotional upheaval between the characters and the way that they deal with it. Um, is basically a stepping stone in their relationship. It takes them to the next level in a sense. Um, and that's what they did with Castle for five seasons until the wedding. So um, is that they had that ebb and flow and it was just, we were so invested in the characters. As I'm well as the mysteries. I, I'm with you. I think that they they screwed the pooch um, <laughs> with, with that one. Um, and you have this article, I'm telling you, I'm taking it to my editor because we, we are um, in this debate right now. It's a romantic thriller series about how long I can drag out um, the relationship before I can solve the promise of that they're made for each other. And she would like that to be infinity. And I'm going to say, no, no, no. Alison Brennan said no more than five books. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. Um, I think, well, and I think that you, when you do have them together, when they do get together, like uh, my Sean and Lucy series, that was kind of structured. I knew that they were going to be together from the very beginning, but it took them several books to get to the point where they were absolutely committed. I mean, they were committed in book one. Um, my mom, I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to anyway. My mom got <laughs> really, really frustrated with Stephanie Plum because she couldn't make up her mind. Yeah. And she told, she is the one that told me, um, you better make like I have a Maxine Revere series that actually ended after five books. She said, you better Max had better figure out who she's with by the end of five books or I'm not going to read anymore. My mom reads all my books, and it was, <laughs> and, but it wasn't who anybody expected. So it it actually, I loved, I loved the way the series ended. I didn't want to end the series, but at least I got the five book story arc for Max, who was my main character. Right. And that is kind of the difference um, between what you're doing and what I was doing with Maxine she was the character of the book. She drove every single story. Her love relationship was secondary, even tertiary to anything else that was going on in her series. It was all about solving the crime, but the relationships were important to her as a character, as a human being, right. because we all have people in our lives. And I yes. like to have that. Lisa Gardner is another great one. She does an amazing job yeah. with her relationships. Uh, I love it. I love it. And, uh, and another thing that you do a great job with besides helping me solve um, disputes with my editor, as I've just um, pointed out, is I thought the whole premise of the mobile, um, you know, the mobile unit in these Quinn and Costa books was just 
genius. Um, what gave you the idea of a mobile unit and being able to change locations? Um, was that something that you did specifically to be able to change locations or what, what drove you toward it? Well, um, my Lucy Kincaid series takes place in San Antonio. It, it doesn't start in San Antonio, but most of the books takes place there. And I didn't want to have a series that was in one location. I wanted to make it distinctly different than my Lucy Kincaid series. Um, when I went through the FBI Citizen Academy in 2008, one, which was a great, great, great thing. So I went every week for nine weeks where we learned from all the different people, all the different agents, everything that they investigate. We got to blow things up. We got to go to the gun range. I had so much fun. Um, <laughs> one of the presentations was from the head of the evidence response team. So every FBI office has an evidence response team. And they basically are the um, specially trained agents who investigate very complex cases within their jurisdiction. So for example, in Sacramento, the big case that they were talking about was the Yosemite murders where Carrie Stainer killed three women. Um, it, I think it ended up in Oregon, the, the, the case, but they had this jurisdiction. So they had to have people that were experts on, uh, excuse me, forensics. They had to have uh, a psychologist. They had to have uh, investigators, but they all basically had a skill and they work and train together. Yeah. So I love that concept. I just did. And I wanted that kind of team, but I didn't want to keep it in one location. So I decided, yeah. well, you know what? I'm going to have the mobile response team and have them focus in small communities that like, for example, well, you're up in Wyoming and you know that the FBI has, I mean, I think it's Wyoming, um, Idaho and Montana all run out of one FBI office, but you're yeah. dealing with a huge geographic region. The Sacramento FBI, I mean, you, you say California, well, California, you know, it's a popular state, but Sacramento FBI handles everything down to the LA County line, all the way up to the Oregon border, except for, you know, Los Angeles and San Francisco. So it's geographically, it's a huge area. So I wanted to take this team and they go to these little areas. So the first book was Liberty Lake, Washington, which is a tiny town outside Spokane, which is not very big. And um, then I had uh, uh, the second book was in Patagonia, Arizona, a town of 1000, uh, which is close to the border. And the third book was in the San Juan Islands. And then the fourth book is in the Bayou and a teeny little, not, this is my only fictional town is St. Augustine because the police were corrupt and I'm not going to call a small town in real life corrupt. So I fiction, I basically created my own town. So once upon a time when I was a real investigator, I was doing an investigation for a company that shall remain nameless in a town in Louisiana that shall remain nameless, where I was told to check into a hotel in a different town under an assumed name and not talk to any cops. If that tells you that I feel that vibe of what you're doing here. <laughs> I gotcha. <laughs> yeah. So I love it. I love that. And and I love small town mysteries, but you're totally right that it's tough if you're in the small town with your characters and you're stuck in the small town. Your mobile response team is just genius. <laughs> well, thank you. And I, I, I do have fun writing it. Now, book five actually takes place in um, Los Angeles, but it's because book five goes back to... Um, what kind of how Kara became part of the team she has to go back and testify against a human trafficker and then that 
Ah. You know, that kind of jump starts a lot of things. So, but the sixth book, which I just got approved, which I haven't quite started writing yet, but I just got the, the idea approved. I did a three page synopsis. I hate writing synopses. I hate it too. Um, it's going to take in a, take place in a tiny town in Colorado, like in the mountains. Yeah. So uh, it'll be up in the mountains in Colorado, which will be a lot of fun. Well, if you ever need a near Colorado riding retreat, we've got this mountain lodge that I'm sitting in here. So you just hit me up. We'll immerse you. (laughs) I, you know what? My husband would move to Wyoming in a heartbeat. Really? He loves it. Yes, he loves it. It's pretty awesome. I've got to say it's not very people-y, which is one of the most awesome things about it. I love people, just not in my presence. So Um, and now you, um, I was reading, you have five kids. I have yep. five kids. Um, awesome. you have chickens or did have, do have I, when we lived in California, mm. we had chickens. Um, but when we moved to Arizona, we were renting. And so it was like, okay, we, we only had one chicken left by the time we left. So we gave that chicken to a friend of ours that had a farm and um, my daughters visited it a couple times <laughs> when she went up to visit. Chickens don't have long-term memory, so I'm sure it worked out okay. <laughs> yeah, I miss my chickens. Especially I know. With the eggs. <laughs> my, my daughter, one of our daughters has chickens and um, we were with her this weekend with those chickens. And I've got to say the, the eggs and just their hilariousness. I, it was, it was quite lovely. I can see why you would miss your chickens. Um, so at this point, where did I set my timer here? At this point in the show, I always do something called the speed round. And okay. that's where I, I ask you some questions that are very similar to ones I ask other authors so people can see the similarities and differences between their favorite authors. So if you're ready for the speed I'll round. Okay. All right. Uh, a book you wish you'd written. Oh, Orphan X. Okay. That was one of my favorite books of the year. I just, I loved it. So thank you for saying that one. Um, (laughs) I mean, sushi or what? Pizza. Pizza. Okay. And are you a plotter or a pantser? I'm an organic writer. I don't like pantser. I don't like that term. (laughs) No, I do not plot. I'm teaching a workshop called No Plotters Allowed at Thriller Fest in two weeks. Oh gosh, I love it. (laughs) yeah I try to plot and that's that whole hate the synopsis thing you're writing it going I cannot be held accountable for sticking to this synopsis because the characters are going to speak to me you understand (laughs) anyway so love it um dog or cat if you could only pick one cat okay I have two cats one dog (laughs) okay there you go um writing outfit you're settling in for the day you are in pajamas pajamas me too um <laughs> it's happy hour are you having a margarita or what are you ordering or what is what is either quinn or costa ordering you can go that route if you'd like with us well um my two favorite drinks are margaritas and guinness beer i love a good guinness if i'm at a pub i have yeah. to be at a pub it has to be poured on tap um kara drinks pretty much anything she will drink <laughs> but she definitely likes tequila and if Costa's going to drink anything, he's probably just going to have a beer. He's, he's, he's a beer. not a big drinker. Well, and, and that interrupts the speed round to just ask when coming up, I mean, obviously you've written so many books, but focusing on just on this series for a minute, do you find pieces of yourself in either of the two of your main characters in, in this series? I think 
we can't help as writers to put a little piece of ourselves in all of our characters. I mean, even sometimes the bad guys, you know, sometimes I wrote a vigilante character. You know, I don't like child predators. And so I could kind of sympathize when somebody wanted to go kill them. Mm-hmm. I would go out and kill them. I'm, I'm not going to say I will go out and kill them, but I could, I could at least relate to someone who maybe just went off the deep end and started killing other predators. Right. Um, so, but I think we all kind of, there's going to be a little hint. I think Kara's a lot more sarcastic than I am. She swears a lot more than I do. She drinks a lot more than I do. I mean, I'll have my drink every night, but Kara will, Kara will drink a lot. Um, and, you know, but other characters might not drink as much. You know, I have a character that I'm writing in a new series and she is a beer drinker. That's, that's pretty much, if she drinks, that's all she's going to drink. So, it, you know, it, I think we balance, it, we balance our characters out, but they're still unique. You know, they're still going to be original people, I hope. All right, here's the next one. Um, the first five things you spend your lottery winning, winnings on, because congratulations, Allison, you've just pretend won the lottery. Um, well, I would buy a house free and clear. That would be the first thing. It would probably, well, my husband and I would probably argue about where it would be, but <laughs> um, uh, it would be in a very low tax state. So we'll say uh, Arizona, Tennessee, Wyoming, or um, probably one of those three states. <laughs> um, then I would, uh, well, oh gosh, I don't know. I mean, that's really all I care about is I just want to have a house free and clear. That would probably suck up a lot of it too. That you know, would suck up the entire lottery winnings. <laughs> after the government took their big. Job. Oh, then I then I'll put a I'll put all the rest of the money in my future grandchildren's college fund. We we shared grandmother moments before we went on air. So yes, they are precious creatures. Um, and silliest thing you keep in your office, if in fact you keep silly things. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> Oh, I see that beautiful Seven Girls Gone cover back there. Oh, Baby Yoda! Um, And actually, I have a whole bunch of Lego Star Wars all up on my bookshelf and uh, because I'm a Star Wars fanatic. (laughs) So have you ever written sci-fi or fantasy? I actually did write a science, a light science fiction book, but it's totally out of my genre. And every time I send it, like every five years to my agent, I'll like go through it and I'll edit it and tweak it a little bit. I'll send it off to him and he always ignores me. So I don't think it'll ever be published. That's, but that's, it, I love it. I love the story. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love your story about that. Um, okay. Your theme song or your, one of your protagonists theme songs. Oh, <laughs> that's really hard. You know, it's funny because I used to listen to music all the time and I, don't listen to music hardly at all anymore. Um, <laughs> well, probably my theme song is Cheeseburger in Paradise by <laughs> Jimmy Buffett because I love that song. I can sing it by heart and, um, and, and I love fun. Jimmy Buffett. Yeah, and it's the vibe. It's the idea. Um, okay. First draft, rewrite or research or any combination thereof. What's your jam? What do you really love to do in the writing process out of the different elements? Um, I love revisions, to be honest. Um, I love I love every part of writing, actually. I love creating the story. I love going through it and making sure it's, you know, clean. I edit as I go. 
Um, and I love editor revisions. I love getting the notes and then going through the book and seeing where my editor is having issues and what she doesn't like or what she really likes and um, cleaning everything up. And I love the page proofs. There's only one stage I hate and that's copy edits. I absolutely hate doing copy edits because it feels like work. Nothing else feels like work to me. <laughs> I love that. And I think you're right. Copy editors, copy editing does feel like work and I'm so done with it by then. It's like, I'm ready. I'm already halfway through the next one, you know, and it's like, mm, we're done with this. So, but what I wish we weren't done with is this interview because it was a lot of fun, but alas, we do have to um, get Allison on to a book club for later this evening and, and refresh her margarita, you know, before the book club. <laughs> uh, I don't want to be too drunk when I start. <laughs> And you guys that are, are on this via video, you can see the cover, Seven Girls Gone, up there behind yes. her. For those of you that are on audio, it is a lovely green cover. Um, so remember to go out and either check out the books in order if you're one of those purists or know that you can get the mystery satisfaction from a standalone read or any of her other soon to be 35 books that she has out. Um, plenty to run the table with there. And I wish you the very best on this book and, and all the ones to come. Thanks for being on today. Thank you so much for having me. I had a lot of fun. It was very fun. And so everybody will wave goodbye to Allison and hopefully see her again soon. And uh, you guys, I wanted to remind you that you can go out and find past shows. You can see what the upcoming shows will be and figure out which books you need to read to be prepared for those author discussions out at my website, PamelaFaganHutchins.com, where you can also see my newest releases like Bighorn and Sitting Duck and where you can find the backlist as well. Earlier, I showed you the website for Allison, where you can find all of, there we go. I have to click the right button, you guys, all of her novels as well. Um, I wanted to just share with you that we've had a couple of other wonderful people uh, it, popping in, one of whom is my husband. Thanks, honey. Had to show that one. And another that... Um, says they found a new author in Allison Brennan and claps and Sandra that enjoys this and we'll be looking up your books. So thank you guys, all of you who are watching and make the show possible. And thanks for your feedback and your questions. I will be seeing you all next time. And until then, go out and read a good book. Why don't you? I think it'd be a super smart thing to do. And I'll leave you with a little outro. Bye guys. Thanks for joining us today on Crime and Wine, chats with crime fiction authors and Pamela Fagan Hutchins. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll check back in with us next time for more thrills, suspense, and stories that will mystify, sometimes horrify, and always leave you wanting more.